All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Tonight, the spooky, scary Devil's Night Eve edition. The Halloween edition? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I am your hardcore host, Mad Dog Butch. With me, as always, the Damien 666 to my Halloween. <laughs> None other than Brace Beamer. Yeah. Well, how's it going tonight? Uh, not too bad. And that's a fantastic ma- mask that you have on there. It looks like the, uh, is that the Mass Superstar mask? Uh, technically, this is the Matt Classic mask. Huh. But I'm pretty sure he just ripped off the Mass Superstar mask. Oh, okay. But honestly, I was probably a bigger fan of the Matt Classic gimmick yeah. than... Uh, than the uh, Mass Superstar. Mass Superstar was awesome, but it's got a little but Matt Classic was awesome too. too. Oh yeah, that's true. Mach Mach three, Destroyer <laughs> Mach three. That is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so our guest this week. Uh, first of all, we are going to be reviewing the very spooky and scary Halloween Havoc 1989, the inaugural edition from World Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, but joining us will be. None other than Frankentiner from the Content Abnormal podcast. Are you there, Frank? I am. Uh, how are, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you are joining us from the deep, dark, dank depths of his subsecret subterranean studio, Area MCA 51. Is that correct? You are, you are correct, sir. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> uh, we are doing well. Um, I just wanted to ask you uh, a, a few questions real quick about content abnormal before you before we delve right into reviewing this uh, pay-per-view. Um, how, how did you decide to get started with the uh, well, first of all, explain to anybody that might not know what uh, the content abnormal podcast entails? Well content abnormal was inspired by like, uh, you know, guys like TV horror hosts like The Ghoul, um, whom I saw sometimes on TV when I was a kid, and, uh, you know, Wolfman Mac, he had his show for a while there, Nightmare Cinema, and then that became Chiller Driving. Mm-hmm. Those guys that um, would present, like, you know, spooky movies, like B-movies from the 1950s or 60s, like public domain stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, they would perform sketches, you know, and they'd introduce the movies, and sometimes when they were going to commercial break or coming back from it. I wanted to kind of do the same thing, but uh, present spooky old-time radio broadcasts, which I've been a big fan of since I was a little kid. Oh, that's a cool idea. So that's what we do. It's about a, it's a half an hour long. I upload a, an episode 
weekly. Usually it's uh, before noon on Saturdays you get a new episode. Okay. Uh, the most recent one that we did was uh, it featured an episode of the show The Inner Sanctum. <laughs> oh, okay, had, great. Uh, it had an interpretation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, and it starred Boris Karloff, and uh, it was amazing. All right, cool. I got to check that out still. I did see that on, on your page. Um, hey, I got a question for uh, for Frank here. Hey, hey Frank, do you, have you uh, seen any of Sir Graves Gastly's work? <laughs> That's just what I was going to ask. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have not. My mom used to watch him. Uh, when she was a little girl, he was on TV then. The only thing I've ever seen of Sir Graves was this clip that uh, they would sometimes weave into Wolfman Max's show, like the early show when it was Nightmare Cinema. They would show Sir Graves doing that laugh of his for like two or three seconds. You know, he would go, and then zoom in on him. That, that's all I've ever seen of him, though. He now, was one of my favorites. Now, one one other guy. Yeah, I, I grew up with Sir Graves Gasly as well. Um, so so everybody that came after, I kind of judged by by that bar. So when and I and I honestly don't remember the goal. I mean, I'm sure that I saw him. I mean, I saw him later on. I actually saw him live later on. But um, but I don't remember him as a kid. I must have been watching something else at that time. But uh, but one that came along later was Count Scary. Do you remember Count Scary as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, Count Scary. Yeah, the the first time I think I ever saw a horror host on TV, I believe it was the time that uh, he and the ghoul, they worked together on a TV special. Yeah, they did. Yeah, later on. Might have been Channel Channel. I think it was. I don't remember the movie that they were showing, but. uh, Yeah, I don't know. I do remember Count Scary. Okay. Um, Now, how many how many episodes of Content Abnormal have you done so far? Uh, the most recent one that I uploaded, I believe that was episode number 61. So we've oh, been wow. going for just over a year now. Oh, okay, great. Right along right along with us, pretty much. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm looking at the screen, and I see that uh, in our graphic, you are wearing a uh, beautiful title belt. <laughs> what, uh, wait, what title belt is that? Well, that... What you're looking at there, that's an, that's an illustration by my, my alter ego, Mr. Joshua Riles. And uh, that, that was for the most recent issue of Content Abnormal magazine. We've got a magazine, too. And it's like, you know, that, that was inspired by, like, famous monsters of Filmland. Okay. And we're on issue number two of that. And the most recent issue celebrates, like, the connection between um, – pro wrestlers and horror movies. It's all about, like, we review movies that feature uh, pro wrestlers who became actors, like Rowdy Roddy Piper and and Tor Johnson and so forth. So um, for that issue, for the table of contents page, uh, my alter ego, Mr. Joshua Riles, just wanted to to come up with an illustration for me, because I'm like the Alfred E. Newman of the magazine. I'm like the weird weird mascot who just kind of gets around all the pages. Uh, he wanted to come up with a special, like, championship belt for me, Frankentiner. So it looks like an old-timey radio. Yeah. And there's, like, some lightning bolts coming out of, you know, each side of it. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just – Okay. I don't know I don't know what you'd call it. It's just it's <laughs> my championship belt. That's all. <laughs> well, you know, everybody in the crowd has their own championship belt nowadays, too. So uh, so I guess it doesn't, doesn't really matter. But um, <laughs> you uh, – now, now, how does one get their hands on the Content Abnormal magazine? Well, the, the print run of it was very limited. We only wound up printing 65 issues of Content Abnormal issue number one. 
okay. the most recent one, I I can only afford to, to get ten of them printed. So oh, okay. those are pretty much the printed versions are pretty much for uh, very close family and friends and for contributors to the magazine. Oh, okay. But anybody can read the whole thing, all of the contents, online at our website, which is contentabnormal.tumblr, and that's Tumblr without an e. Dot com. You can find the whole thing there, and, and you can see outside cover, inside cover, all of the interior pages. And yeah, right. It's pretty easy to read from mobile device. I've tried reading it on my phone, and I did okay with that. All right. That sounds sounds great. I will have to check that out. Um, but let's get into our topic. Um, like I said, Halloween Havoc 1989, the, the inaugural Halloween <coughs> Excuse me. Um. Now this this was not too long after Ted Turner had taken it over. Um, I, I at the end I noticed the first name that popped up as the executive producer is Jim Hurd. Um, this this was like before it got too bad. Uh, the Ding Dongs had not debuted yet, um, but you could tell that there was like a shift in things. I, I thought as far as well, well we'll get into it as as we go along, but I do remember when they first announced that they were going to have a Halloween Havoc pay-per-view, um, you know, I thought, okay, mixing wrestling with Halloween, it, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. No offense, Frank. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it, and so I had these high hopes for all, all these things that they could do. And uh, and as, as I will point out as I go along, I think that they really dropped the ball with at least this first one. I think later on, and and we'll probably review some later on as well, but uh, I think they really dropped the ball with the Halloween theme in this one. Yeah, if we keep doing this for another ten years, we can probably get through all of them, huh? <laughs> yeah, they did do uh, quite a few of them. Fifteen? Um, I don't know how many they did. Yeah, I don't remember how many they did either. But uh, let's start. Right. Oh, and uh, I, I didn't realize this, but it's called Halloween Havoc settling the score. <clears throat> um, I didn't notice that either. It, it took place almost exactly thirty years ago today, uh, on October twenty. 1989 from the Philly Civic Center and Jim Ross and Bob Cottle are our announcers. Um, they give us a quick intro. They also tell us that Gordon Soley and Christopher Cruz are going to be doing backstage interviews. That takes us up to match number one, which is Tom Zank versus Captain Mike Rotundo. Uh, now, the very first thing that that struck me was Captain Mike Rotundo, who had been doing the varsity club gimmick for a while, still got a lot of heat in the beginning. Yeah. But then when they announced Tom Zank, Tom Zank got about double the heat as a baby face. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that going on in this crowd tonight. <laughs> uh, the match itself, I, I thought was a decent enough opener. Um, Tom Zank had uh, been, I believe, now was he in AWA right before this or was that after? He, after it was after this, yeah, because he went back at the end and went in their tournament. I think Zabisco wound up winning that one. I believe it was after. But but Zink was the last one that he eliminated in that yeah. in that battle yeah, royal. So, so yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, any any uh, thoughts on on this match, Frank and Tyner? Well, I grew up watching Mike Rotunda's IRS in the WWF. So yeah. you know, when I <laughs> But I, I sat down to watch this. I, I watched it a couple of times uh, this month here because I've, you know, I've got the WWE Network, so I decided to make a thing of like just 
going through all of the Halloween Havocs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I watched this one. I mean, my my feeling about it was that it was a pretty good opener between two uh, hard workers, a couple of dependable, technically sound wrestlers, you know, and they, they got some reaction out of the crowd. So I, th I thought it was a pretty good opener. I wasn't really, like, heavily invested in it because, you know, I, I, I'm not familiar with the whole varsity club thing. I was wondering what the VC was, uh, you know, what it stood for on <laughs> – Mike Rotunda singlet, so I'm glad they explained that. You know, one of the commentators did Jim Ross about Cobble. Yeah, rich, but uh, I thought it was an okay, it was an okay match. I thought. Yeah, uh, Rotundo had a great run as as a heel um, as part of the Varsity Club, especially like the the, the beginnings of it. Um, nobody had really seen. I think he had been a babyface all the way up until that point, and he was a guy that I would have never really pictured as a as a heel up until that point, and, and he just did a fantastic job. Um, the Varsity Club had pretty much disbanded at this point, uh, and I had forgotten why later on Jim Hurt, excuse me, Jim Hurd and, you know, whoever else was, was running things at the time, turned him into a seaboat captain. Mm. Um, and they, they eventually turned him babyface and started having him wear, like, uh, a captain's hat and uh, – Apparently that's why, because he was the captain of the varsity club, so they decided to leave the captain name, but let's turn him into a boat captain for absolutely no reason at all. Yeah, and they went then into the Turner archives and got uh, the skipper's hat for him to wear in the ring <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gilligan's Island. <laughs> right. Uh, Brace, any, any thoughts on, on this match that we haven't already covered? Oh, I, I will say this. Uh, Mike Rotondo ends up winning it with a roll-through. Um, or no, I'm sorry, not Mike Rotondo. Tom Zink ends up winning it. Because Rotundo goes for a reverse body press. You would yeah. see this move about three times later on in, in different matches, too. But, uh, but Zank catches him and rolls through, gets the victory, and gets booed out of the building. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a, a, one of the standard spots for that time. Yeah. You know, the, the old flying body press roll. But through. it wasn't something that Rotundo normally did. Yeah. If anything, I, w I could have seen Zank doing that. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but it, for this match... Um, I, you know, what I found the most interesting besides the work of Mike Rotundo, mm -hmm. who's Bray Wyatt's dad in the WWE? Yes. Does he still go by Bray, Bray Wyatt? Well, now he is, yeah, but he's also the fiend. Oh, okay. Okay. So. His work was phenomenal, but it was fun just watching the crowd boo Tom Zink. <laughs> you know? It was. they Because they really didn't like Mike Rotundo. One right. of the One of the best technically sound... Uh, wrestlers I've ever seen is Mike yeah. Rotundo. His suplexes, like every single one was phenomenal yeah. like, that he's ever done. Yeah. Just, I mean, he did another sweet suplex, and we've talked about this on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, just just the regular vertical suplex. He made it made it look, look Yeah, the look, crowd look was so against Tom Zink that when Mike Rotunda was cheating and using the ropes for a leverage, for leverage on a hold, like a, like a scissors or a abdominal stretch, like the crowd, the referee would look at the crowd to like ask if Rotundo was holding the rope, and the crowd would say no, even though Rotundo right. is supposed to be the bad guy. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, some of the best abdominal stretches in the business. Uh, in 1981, he wrestled in Montreal for international wrestling when he was starting. Rotundo did? Yeah. Oh, okay. I never yeah. And in, in speaking of the uh, Destroyer, the Mask, Dick Byer, yeah. Yeah. he was trained by, uh, Mike Rotundo was trained by the Destroyer. Dick Byer. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever realized that either. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and then last thing about the finish, the roll through with Zank. I I I noticed I knew this before, but one of the reasons why he didn't get over is because he was too much of a pretty boy. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. like when he won, he did that little leap. You know, like um like George Goulis did. Oh, this- <laughs> and yeah. And well, yeah, go ahead. So he, he did this little <laughs> leap as kind of like a prancing, like a ballerina leap. And a lot of French Canadians did that. Rick Martel did that. And yeah, I don't right. think that's the reason why he really got over as good as he was is because he just didn't seem tough. Yeah. Uh, the Rougeos yeah. was another one. That's probably part of it. But I will say that, like, when it looked like Zenk was going to make a comeback in this match, it was about the weakest comeback I'd ever seen. Yeah. He whipped Rotundo and gave him an elbow out of the corner, and then he gave him, like, that ear ringer thing. Yeah. And then and then Rotundo came back and then that led to the finish. But he did but, a good uh, job. I mean, it was a it was a good opening match, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was always a a, a fan of Zank until his WCW run. Honestly, <laughs> like when we saw him, well, in he international. got exposed. Yeah, when we saw him in international, he was good. Yeah. Um, his WWE run, even though it was real short, I mean, he did a good job for what for what he had. to and do. And he was in tag matches, so you really didn't. Right. They, they were able to kind of mask some of that inexperience. If you will. Yeah. All right, so that, then we get an interview with Bruno San Martino uh, along with Christopher Cruz. He is going to be our special guest referee for the main event. And I, don't, and I felt like Bruno was shooting. It seemed to me like he wholeheartedly believed everything <laughs> that he said. I think it was a total shoot on Bruno's part. That's funny because I wrote down, aside from it was a great interview by Bruno, that it was it sounded legit. It did. You know, like he did it. Perfect old school, like it was a sporting contest, and Bruno San Martino, the legend, was going to come in and cut it right down the middle. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, that was awesome. Frank, Frankentiner, any thoughts on the Bruno San Martino interview? <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I agree with what you guys said. I mean, the, the way that he did it, he said everything, you know, with like conviction. I mean, he really seemed genuinely convinced that he might be called upon to, you know, have to get between some guys and. Yeah, lay down the law and put somebody in a headlock if they if they got out of hand. You know, I just I I did I like I like this style of promo. It was real, just kind of direct. You know, no nonsense. And I mean, you looked at him and and the feeling I got was he believed it. You know, he believed it. He said everything with yeah with conviction. He even looked like yeah. a referee. He, yeah, he did. And we'll see Bruno. We'll see how Bruno handles business <laughs> later on. <laughs> and that I mean that's like a big part I think that's missing in the business today. It's like I mean especially ones that are written written for someone else it's like you know how how can you how can you uh you know portray that as uh, i mean i i guess you could try to make it a, your own as as much as possible but it, it's just i mean watching this i just the whole format of it i really liked cuz you know you'd yeah. have like the quick backstage interviews and then and then you'd go to the matches so uh with that we go to match number 2 uh, which is the Midnight Express and Dr. Death, Steve Williams, versus the Samoan SWAT team. Um, and uh, we get, I should mention that uh, Nick Patrick was the referee for the last match. Tommy Young is the referee in this match. So basically, it's just those two guys throughout the whole the whole thing, and they, they just, uh, you know, they do one match and, and then skip over. But, Thanks for uh, bringing that up. I can't believe I didn't mention the referee on the first <laughs> one. I got it written down and everything. <laughs> Yeah, Tommy Young, one of the greatest referees of all time. And Nick Nick Patrick, no slouch himself. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, this match, I, I don't remember how Dr. Death Steve Williams ended up with the Minute Express, but I was watching it. I was thinking. Yeah, I don't either. I was thinking, they, I, I just think they didn't have anything else for him to do, so they threw him with there. But talk about over. 
Holy yeah, crap. Oh, I mean, not only the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette as, as baby faces, which we never saw a whole lot throughout their careers, but when Dr. Death came in, man, the crowd was going insane. Yeah. Yeah, they were just looking for, uh, I think overall, looking for a certain style of combat, if you will, that night. You know, yeah. a certain style of wrestling, and uh, Dr. Death fit the bill, Steve Williams. Yeah. I, I mean, we've talked about it before, Midnight Express. Uh, my my favorite act of all time, uh, you're, you're close to your favorite tag team of all time. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Uh, Frank, what uh, what did you think of this match? Well, this was my first really, I had heard of Dr. Death, Steve Williams before, but I mean, this this was my first good look at him, and, and my impression of him was that he was a very, very intense guy. He was thick. He was powerful. Everything, you know, he did was really high impact. And uh, I know I, I've you know I've watched your show before, so I know you're a big beautiful Bobby Eaton fan. Yeah. So right away, I'm thinking, okay, this oh this is Mad Dog Butch's <laughs> tag team right here. Exactly. Um, and one thing I was really impressed by uh, Sweet Stan Lane's form with those kicks, those side kicks that he would kind of use to to create distance with his opponents. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it didn't seem like he landed them that often. It was more of like just you know, let me back you up a little bit, and he would kind of you know. Yeah. in this side stance and throw this kick and right. right you know right away I thought well this guy's got pretty good form and then one of the commentators informed us that he was a former karate instructor who was discovered by Ric Flair at a beach party and that's how he yeah was, into the business yeah I was kind of surprised they mentioned that um I, I believe Stan Lane is the only wrestler to ever be trained by Ric Flair um well he was trained by him he wasn't just discovered by him he trained him too huh yeah Yes, he did. At least that's the, that's what the story is, anyway. Um, and uh, another guy in this match that I mean, I was I was a big fan of a lot of these guys in this match at, at one point. I was, I was like a pretty big fan of Doctor Death at one point too. More more of his UWF stint, but uh, but the Tonga Kid, who they were calling the Samoan Savage at this point, yeah. and uh, Samu, one of the one of the SST. Oh, and and I should mention that they were with uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck that they were calling the big kahuna at this point. Um, but uh, Samu, at one point when he was in international, was probably my favorite wrestler at that time. Um, so he's no slouch either. Um, I, I, th- I think it was you know a good match for what it was. The ending was uh, Jim Cornette gets up onto the apron, or Humperdinck gets up on the apron. Cornette whacks him with the... Uh, did, he, did he whack him with the, with the tennis racket first? Or, or did he just, like, throw him off or punch him or, or something? He just threw him off. I don't <laughs> think the tennis racket came in, did it? What would you say, Frank? Yeah, I think somebody got hit with that tennis racket. Wasn't it Wasn't him got well, hit with the tennis racket? Went up on I, the apron I, and then the Samoans were able to steal it? Well, yeah, the, he was up on the apron. I don't remember if he actually whacked uh, Humperdinck with the – he might have whacked him with it. But e- e- either way, um, Lane's standing there. Tonga Kid gives him, like, a flying headbutt from behind. Lane kind of like runs into the tennis racket himself, and then and then takes the the pinfall there. Um, okay. But uh, but yeah, I mean you know de- decent match, nothing really on the line. I at, at one point, um, you know, it seemed like any time uh, a, a new person would kind of take over WCW, they, it seemed like they'd try to bury the Midnight Express. <laughs> um, so and not not that they were buried, but I, I know they put them in the feud with the Samoan SWAT team, and I thought it was a decent feud. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, not you know, easily not the best 
I mean, obviously not the best Midnight Express match of all time, but uh, but it was good for what it was. Yeah, I mean, I had it. I had it the same. You know, I I think I wrote down a decent match. Tonga Kid was also from international wrestling. Is a loaf of the Polynesian prince. <laughs> that was that wasn't was that Tonga or was that no that that was the other one. Oh, that was Fatu. Fatu. Okay, yeah. okay. <clears throat> Another international wrestling reference. You know, one thing I noticed, the uh, crowd reaction, uh, you know, like whenever I watch these, I pay attention. I just always yeah. have, you know. It, it's so different than now. It's like when I'm watching it here, they're anticipating the start of the match, the whole match, and the finish. Yeah. You know, it's they were involved. They wanted right. to see the match. And, I, you know, I thought that's pretty cool comparing it to modern times where you really, maybe if Lesnar's having a match, and, you know, I mean, I try and watch it sometimes, but I can't. You know? right. So, yeah. from what I can tell, I mean, it, it's completely different. And, it, and Jim Ross delivering a lot of history lessons during this card. Yeah, he was. You know, which, yeah. which was which was nice, because I remember him making a point to do it because it was never getting done anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, and there was a lot of sh- shoot stuff that he threw out there, too. Um, but that brings us yeah. to uh, the next interview with uh, – Gordon's- well, I I want to I want one more point on oh, okay. this match. You know, the, I didn't think the SSTs, the small and SWAT team, looked very well on this one. They they were sloppy in a lot of spots, and at the end, like the timing wasn't off. I don't know if they just got there or they brought the other one in there and it just kind of threw the timing off. But I mean, it, it was decent. They weren't bad enough where it made the match bad, but it just didn't. I, I will say this: that that was one thing about that feud. <clears throat> I thought the matches were okay, but they weren't like they weren't as finely tuned as say the Midnight's versus the Fantastic. Oh, sure, and they weren't going to be, or the know? Rock and Roll Express, yeah. or anything like that. And right. yeah, you're right; they did kind of throw the Samoan Savage Tonga Kid in there later on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, you know, I mean, I, I I didn't really have a problem with it. Yeah, I, me I thought, neither. It just I wasn't. It looked okay because Midnight but. Express. I you know the bar is like up here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. But yeah, yeah, like uh. I mean, it was it was a decent match. I, I I was just expecting more out of the Samoan SWAT team. Yeah, you know, because it was like they were half on and seventy five percent on and twenty five percent off. Uh, okay, so that takes us to the next interview, which is Gordon Soley with Gary Hart and Terry Funk. Um, Terry Fu- talking about the Thunderdome cage match main event, which is going to be an electrified cage. Uh, Terry <laughs> Funk says he's going to do the thousand watt boogie or ten thousand watt boogie. Um, <laughs> and uh, I should mention this: we we talked about this last time, but uh, you know, I, I didn't realize how much the Mad Max movies have really influenced influenced pro wrestling, especially at that time. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you had Lord Humongous as a wrestler. You had. Uh, you had the Thunderdome, and then what? What? what something so we had about, the Road Warriors. Yeah, the Road Warriors. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, <clears throat> demolition. Yeah. Uh, this brings us to match number three, which is Fidel Sierra, the Cuban Assassin, versus the the returning former NWA World Champion Tommy Wildfire Rich. Um, we get a Tommy Rich sucks chant throughout the match when the crowd wasn't totally dead. Um, <laughs> nothing against the Cuban Assassin, but. You know, it's he's not really. You know, they never really did anything with him to make him a pay per view caliber type wrestler. Right? Yeah, I uh, kind of noted that. It's like, yeah. What the heck, Josh? Were you from? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Frankentiner. Are you familiar <laughs> at all with? Uh, were you familiar with the Cuban Assassin? 
No, this this was my only look at the Cuban assassin. I mean, I I, I got to tell you guys, I was only six years old when this event occurred, and uh, okay. growing up, I did not have cable, so the only knowledge I even had of World Championship Wrestling, the only way that I even knew that the promotion existed when I was a kid, was from the the rubber action figures that I'd find at like big lots. <laughs> Lots of times they were like open package, you know. That's how I knew that Ric Flair and and staying in like you know the biggest uh, the superstars in that promotion okay. were around. So yeah, when I went through these Halloween Havocs, this is my first look at uh, at lots of lots of these people. And the Cuban Assassin was one of them. It's the only time I've seen him wrestle. What about what about Tommy Wilfer Rich? I mean, later on he became part of uh, Extreme Championship Wrestling as the Big Don Tommy Rich as part of the <laughs> Full Blooded Italians. And then he got a better reaction as a heel in Philly. Uh, were, were you familiar with him? And he is a former, it got mentioned real quick, but he is a former NWA world champion with a victory over Harley Race, actually. I mean, my impression of him was that, you know, he looked like a guy who had been around for a while and, and knew what he was doing. He was in pretty good shape. And uh, don't they say it at, at one point during the match, doesn't one of the, the commentators say that, like, he kind of was out of the spotlight for a while? Like, you know, there was a time where he was like, one of the premier talents in the world of pro wrestling then what was it an injury or yeah J- jim ross just mentioned one that another he kind of got away and so this was like you know um he was kind of mounting a comeback at this stage of his career trying to like ascend back to main main event status you got it yep that's exactly what happened and uh you know luger i mean we'll mention luger later but um you know luger kind of feuded with two people around this time pillman being one of them and, and they have that match later uh, but Tommy Rich was another one. And I will say those, those two actually had some great matches. Uh, th- this this match is not a good representation of what Tommy Rich did around this time. Um, you know, he, 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 he made a good comeback, I thought. Um, you know, they, they kind of pushed him to a, to a certain level uh, when he first came back, but then, then he kind of got re-relegated to being – Mid Carter or less than Mid Carter later on, yeah. uh, and then not too long after that he went to to uh, ECW, I believe, or he probably went back to Memphis for a while. Yeah, I think and, he uh, did Independence for a while yeah. before he, ECW came yeah. along. So uh, anyway, uh, Tommy Rich ends up winning the match with a sloppy Luthez press, um, sloppier than normal. Um, the match, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to rate this match. I mean, it was it was pretty much a glorified squash match on a pay per view. Yeah, it was a good match, though. I mean, it wasn't bad, and like yeah, I said, I, I, I'm card. not taking anything away from Fidel Sierra. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's like a, good a long time. He is, and uh, you know, he had some good matches in UWF as well. Uh, but it was just WCW had never really done anything with him, and then to throw him onto pay per view. Yeah, I mean, they they had a pretty deep roster at this point. I mean, they they could have had somebody else that would have been a little bit more impressive for <laughs> for Tommy Rich to beat. It's, at this I think point. you looked at looked at my notes while I was. <laughs> I did not, but <laughs> yeah, the same sentiment. <laughs> so I mean, you know, the match is what it was. It's a filling match. Yeah, it was nice <laughs> seeing Rich, Tommy Rich win with the Luthez press. That was one of my favorite moves. But that was a sloppily executed one. You yeah, and they're they're hard to do right though. I mean, that's kind of why I quit doing them. <laughs> and they're hard to take. But he used to be able know? to do them well. Yeah, it depends mm-hmm. on for you know, for the most part. Yeah. He did it well later on. But, uh. and Tommy Rich was one of the biggest stars in wrestling in the late 70s. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, er, into the early 80s. You, you know, you hear some guys, oh, he was the Hulk Hogan of the time. Well, he was. 
He was. You know, he, you had the Hogan there, and then you had the Hogan in Florida, and you had the Hogan in Minneapolis. Yeah. But he was a big name. He got out on TBS. <clears throat> when he went around the country, it sold out. And, Michigan uh, included. We should mention the legendary feud before this that he had with with Buzz Sawyer, yeah. uh, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer in um, in uh, Mid South, and a lot of people said, you know, that this this was for whatever reason after he lost the world title and he and he just whatever, you know, he got de pushed or, or 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 whatever, you know, that was a lot. The announcers would always say that it would be like. Oh well, that feud with with Buzz Sawyer—that's what uh, yeah. you know. He was never the same after that. It, yeah. it, 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 uh, it took a lot out of him. So uh, that was always kind of their excuse for him not being at the top anymore. Um, but you're right; they could have had the the Tommy Rich that you need to see is like the older Tommy Rich. He didn't have yeah. a blood feud in WCW to really get the whole oh. Tommy Rich. He was more of a Southern style wrestler, like. <clears throat> And Buzz Sawyer a lot, did a lot more punching and whatever, you yeah. know. But and Buzz Sawyer did show up not too long after this in WCW, and they did. It, it seemed like they were going to try to to have them feud again. I mean, they did have some matches, but it never it never really. Yeah, I barely rose remember that. It. They they did because I yeah. was I was hoping that they would like stick them in a feud again. Yeah, and, now you and, bring it up and reignite it, but they just you know they had a couple throwaway matches. I mean, the matches were decent. Yeah, but you know they they never really did a whole lot with the them. stakes weren't big enough. For what Tommy Rich needed, you know? Right. Uh, so that takes us to our next interview uh, with Gordon Soley, along with, with the fabulous Freebirds, the World Tag Team Champions at the time. Um, a lot of people, and so, so the Freebirds at this time are P.S. Michael Hayes and Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. A lot of people crap on this team. Um, I will throw this out here. They had been aligned already back in um, world class championship wrestling. Oh yeah. So I never really had a problem with with it. Yeah, I agree was with it you. was it as great as the Terry Gordy Buddy Roberts version? Probably not. Yeah. But but still, I mean, he was always kind of like considered the unofficial fourth Freebird, even going back to their world class days. Yeah, I think part of the problem with, I mean, I hate bringing up a problem i mean it was a good match and you know we'll talk about it but they were just they just they had a different style than you were used to when they were the other free birds right. you know they didn't play the chicken crap heel they didn't beg off they didn't cheat a whole lot it's like they played like tough guys like street right. guys and they shouldn't have and, right. they sh- and they shouldn't right. have that was never yeah. their role before that. okay so let's get into that Match number four, World Tag Team Championship. Uh, the Fabulous Freebirds versus the Dynamic Dudes, along with Jim Cornette, one of the most hated babyfaces te- babyface teams of all time. Um, pretty much had heat on them throughout the whole the whole match. Uh, Josh uh, Frankensteiner, did you uh, <clears throat> had, had, were you familiar with the Dynamic Dudes before this? No, this is my first look at the dynamic dudes and their uh, their skateboards and yeah, no, they wasn't familiar with them <laughs> prior to this. No. Uh, what what is your initial impression of them now? <laughs> well, I had seen Shane Douglas before. I'd seen some of his ECW stuff. You know, Shane franchise Douglas. Um, don't I can't tell you for sure that I'd seen Johnny Ace before. Um, you know, they came walking down. The, I, you know, I, I cracked up, you know, my first look at them. You know, they have the skateboards, and they're kind of like you know, these big buff dudes, but they're kind of like uh, dressed like 
California teenage kids, you know, like, you know, we're going to go to the skate park and then hang out at the beach afterwards. And, you know, the <laughs> dynamic dudes and everything that just cracked me up. <laughs> uh, what, did, what did you think of the match overall? I thought it was a pretty good match. I mean, it just the, the crowd seemed to really be into it, I think, because of the Freebirds. You know, I, and I do like the Freebirds. I like Michael P.S. Hayes. I like, you know, <laughs> I like listening to him talk and, uh, I got a kick out of you know his moves and you know, walking walking to and from the ring. Yeah, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty decent match, and the the, the announcers did mention that Michael P. S. Hayes was one of the first ones to come out to rock and roll music, and uh, yeah, yeah, and that and that's true. Not too long, not too long after this. Um, so what was going on here was Jim Cornette had taken. The, the dynamic dudes under his wing. Um, so eventually they led to a feud where I think Johnny, they, they did a angle where Johnny Ace had taken, uh, had stolen one of Stan Lane's girlfriends or something. So there was like, forgot about so that. there was like, there was some jealousy there and may, not, it wasn't too long after this pay-per-view, there was like a pay-per-view or a clash of champions where the dynamic dudes took on uh, the midnight's, Jim Cornette was in, uh, ended up being in the Dynamic Dudes corner, and then ended up turning on the Dynamic Dudes, which turned the Midnight's uh, back to heels. And it was one of the biggest pops I've ever heard when <laughs> when Cornette turned on the Dynamic Dudes. Even though that's not the way it was supposed to go, um, I, I personally think, and then especially watching this match, I personally think that they could have turned the Dudes bad. I think they could have been. You know, heat machine. I, oh, you know, I don't know though. They, you know, maybe they would have got cheered after they turned heel. They probably would have. <laughs> but uh, brace, uh, what are your thoughts on this? You know, um, this was a very good match. I I liked it. I mean, the, I feel sorry for the dynamic dudes and the crowd getting all over them. And when, hell, when we went to uh, Kobo, or re, did you go to the Kobo card with the dynamic dudes? Wasn't that me, you, and uh, Frank Williams Jr. Um, I, we, I, against the midnights and I, we're I, booing them out of the building. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that, 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 that was <laughs> Those one, of, one of them that we saw two, two like pretty good workers, you know, and they were younger at the time, still a little bit to learn, but they were pretty good. And they just got saddled with that gimmick and the crowd would not, what I noticed was if they even screwed up just a hair, yeah, the crowd would get all over them because they didn't like them already. Right. And I wrote down a question for you. Okay, and maybe this is to you, Frank, because you brought this up. Were were the Freebirds that over with the crowd, or did they hate the dynamic dudes that much? Where the Freebirds got that big of a reaction? I I you think know, I, I want to say no. Go go I, ahead. I agree with Brace. I just want to say I agree with Brace. Uh, you know, when he said that they thought this was a good match, you kind of you, you jarred my memory a bit. Yeah, this was a pretty good match. I think Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas both looked outstanding in it, but. To answer your question, I think it was a combination of the two. I think the fabulous Freebirds were just way over, and uh, the dynamic dudes, yeah, people just, you know, they looked at these guys just because of the gimmick, not because of right. the yeah. in-ring work, but, I mean, the gimmick. I think people were looking at them and groaning. And, uh, I mean, a question I have for you guys, do you have any idea how long they were together? Because my very first thought when I saw them walking out was like, oh, these guys, this couldn't have lasted long. They couldn't have been together. Yeah, it wasn't know, long, long, maybe a year. You're talking, you're yeah, talking about yeah. the dudes, right? you talk talking about the, yeah, dynamic, the dynamic dudes. dudes. Yeah, prob- probably maybe a year, year and a half. Yeah, it wasn't uh, long. I'm surprised it wasn't even that long. 
And yeah, the, and, well, it was different back then, you know. You didn't have everything right on TV every week, you know. So, uh, like, like I had mentioned, this is the beginning of the Jim Hurd era. I think that if it would have been somebody else, if it was still Dusty, I think that it probably would have not gone on as long, or something would have changed. They would have changed it up somehow because it wasn't just this incident. The dynamic dudes were getting booed pretty much everywhere and every time. <laughs> yeah. Um. the The Freebirds were relatively over at this point. Um. I would say. Uh, but I think this particular incident, the reason that the Freebirds were so over was because the Dynamic Dudes were so hated. Yeah, because I was kind of torn, you know, maybe sitting like right in the yeah. middle. I mean, probably. they were pretty over because I remember yeah. uh, right around this time, it might have been before this, but right around this time, Michael P.S. Hayes beat Luger for the U.S. belt. And, it, okay, it might have been after this. And the crowd popped. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. But Terry Gordy That's also right. had, had just that. come back, too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the crowd popped huge for it. Um, so, so they were, they were over as, as heels, but, but, but to answer your question, I think just this particular match, I think it was just because the dudes were so hated yeah, and it was Philly. So that's why I asked yeah. two more quick things on this one. Uh, mad dog, the crowd's so much more engaged in the matches and Frank, I don't know if you picked this up while you're watching it, you know, not, not being a fan of that era initially. The crowd is so much more engaged in the matches, and it, and it, it, yeah. I mean, from move to move, they're they're into everything, yeah. you know, not just like the finish or the entrance, you know. Somebody like in in a previous match, somebody in the Midnight Express match, one uh, Bobby punched somebody, Bobby Eaton, just mm-hmm. one punch. Yes, the other guy goes down, and the crowd goes, oh. <laughs> yeah, and it's not and because. They didn't do anything else. It's just that it was so good and it was timed right, you know. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, and then, lot, the, yeah, a lot of people in the audience they were so uh, emotionally invested. I mean, yeah, the the momentum shifts, the big moves that signaled a um, a shift in dominance in the match. It would get a huge pop. I mean, like you know, like this was family in the audience. Like they knew him personally. They were yeah. just that <laughs> that yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. And the the last thing I have on that one is, I mean, I think I mentioned before that finish was just timed perfectly you can't yeah. you you don't find that anymore and that kind of goes into later on too yeah. but yeah i just want to mention the, the the finish i forgot to mention that uh that the the dynamic dudes finisher was like it was, it was pretty cool i mean it was like a it was like a slingshot double back suplex so they went for that match uh one of them on the outside grabs johnny ace's foot and pulls him down yeah and then i so i think it was garvin that was still in the ring Ends up turning over and then getting the getting the victory. Yeah, it was done very well. But the best ma- the best finish on the card so far, and probably, I mean, one of the maybe the best match so far. I mean, there hasn't really been any stinkers, but just because yeah. of the finish and the spot on the card, that's why I think the finish was so well. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was good anyway, but for the spot on the card, that's that's the best match so far. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that, and uh, and uh, the the. The Freebirds get a huge pop when they win. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and the other last last thing is this is where I kind of noticed that, man, there's a bunch of tag team matches on this card, which we don't have anymore. Uh, well, uh, I, I thought about that, but AEW is actually doing a, a pretty good job of bringing tag team oh, wrestling back. They're, they're doing a tag team tournament right now. Cool. I haven't seen a whole lot of the new NWA, but from what I understand, they're doing a pretty decent job of it as well. WWE is trying, but just the way they, but it's just the same old, same old with them. Yeah. It's like they say that they're going to focus back on the tag team division, but then, 
you know, it, it's just the same thing where like this team comes out of nowhere, beats somebody in a non-title match, and it's just it's just like the same rotation uh, over and over and over <laughs> with what what they're doing with that. Well, hopefully, but, it turns out well enough for the for the other two groups and all the teams were big. I mean, yeah. physically huge, except, I mean, well, like monsters. Yeah, we mentioned this in the beginning. Uh, Ole was the booker at this time, and that is one thing that he definitely did was try to refocus uh, on tag teams. And they had some great tag teams in here at the yeah. time. They really did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, let's let's move on to um, the next interview, which is, again, uh, Christopher Cruz along with the Steiner brothers. And uh, Scott... <laughs> Was uh, I, I mean, he kind of became known later for kind of his stumbling, bumbling interviews. And uh, this one was no exception. Uh, <laughs> he kind of sputtered along um, and, and eventually got it out. And then Rick Steiner did his dog face, face gremlin kind of gimmick. And, um, you know, it was what more it was. of a modern day interview where they're trying to remember what they want to say. You know, yeah. it wasn't yeah. as easy for him at this point. I don't know if right. ever, but yeah, Scott was never a good interview. No. I, I mean, I'm sorry. That wasn't their deal, but it yeah. was pretty cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was what it was. Yeah. But, uh, uh, Frank, any any uh, thoughts on the Steiner brothers interview? I mean, you know, it was pretty quick, but yeah, it was pretty quick. But I got to say, I loved Scott's. I, I loved Scott's promo before this one because I loved. You know, he was asked like, "You got any strategy going into this?" And uh, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> Just his tone, the way he scoffs at the idea of having any – no, we have no strategy. Like, you know, like strategies for losers. Give me a break. You know, come on. We don't need no stinking strategy. You know, that that cracked me up. I like that. Um, and one thing I want to say in favor of the the production design of this, uh, this pay-per-view event is I like the backgrounds that they had for the interview segments. I like the uh, – the spooky bear, like, you know, tree branches. I did, too. Bushes in the background. Yeah. They kind of reminded me of, like, the publicity stills that you'd see of, like, Lon Chaney Jr. as the wolf man, like, clinging to, a, you know, the branches of a tree, like, underneath the, <laughs> the full moon. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. We did have a graphic in the beginning that introduced us to the Halloween Havoc thing, and, and then we did have that. Um, but... But as far as the rest, I guess when the wrestlers would come out, they'd kind of make it a little bit darker and have like uh, make have the smoke coming out, trying to make it look like fog. But that that was pretty much at least to this point, that's pretty much the extent of the Halloween theme. Good, and I'm um, kind of glad that's all they did. But that was a cool background there on the interview because it wasn't too much, right? You know, yeah. So this takes us to yeah, Matt. I, I like. I did like the graphic in the beginning where they have the animation of like their ghosts and you see the tombstones with the, yeah. you know, their names on it, like Muda and Sting and, and Ric Flair. And they have this little music that goes along with it. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that, that was cool. Uh, but I just remember, like I, like I mentioned in the beginning, I remember like thinking, oh, okay, well, th- well, this is, I, I don't know. I just felt that they could have done more with the Halloween gimmick myself, but, uh, which they did later on. I mean, the announcers would later oh, on would be, dressed up in costumes and and they would do like a little bit more. Uh, one of the shows, one of the Halloween havocs that we were at, at Joe Louis arena, Terry Funk ended up getting pile drive down a pumpkin yeah, by the, right. by the nasty boys. Uh, <laughs> so amazing. stuff like that. Right. But uh, so match number five, doom with woman, the debut of doom with woman versus the Steiner brothers. And I do got to ask, I, I know that I don't remember if we watched this pay-per-view as it happened, I'm thinking I was we, thinking that I don't think we did. 
uh, may, maybe not, but either, either way, how long do you think it took the crowd to figure out who Doom was? I know. <laughs> About three I seconds? I just remember being like perplexed that they just wouldn't say that's freaking Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Uh, Russ, the- Russ did screw up one time and said, Reed. He, yeah. said, he said, Reed did something. And then if you notice, he kept saying greed. <laughs> Like he, he said, he said greed about five times after that. So if anybody would have said anything, he'd have been like, "Oh, well, I just said greed, whatever." But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a shame they wouldn't. I had some notes on that later. So, <laughs> but uh, again, a decent match. The whole thing here was um, was Rick Steiner, <laughs> and this was actually a pretty funny thing that they did. Rick Steiner had met women was sitting in the crowd uh, for a while in the in the front row. And she was she was dressed up very conservatively, geeky or or whatever. And her name was like Robin Green. They did a whole oh, yeah, thing where Rick Steiner that. ended up <laughs> taking her out on a date, and and then she turned heel, and that's why she brings in this team. Obviously, the team is Ron Simmons and uh, and Butch Reed. Uh, they la- they will later on get unmasked by the Steiners, um, and then they got more over. Once they got unmasked, uh, they oh they yeah ended up definitely more over. But uh, but yeah, again, I, I mean, I thought this match was uh, was a pretty decent match. Um, again, this is the Ole Anderson era. This is the uh, Jim Hurd era. So it's also the era where they where they really kind of started pushing the quote high impact maneuver stuff. Yeah, um, pick them up so, and throw them down. Right. So there was a lot of this in this match, but but I you know I don't mind that. Um, so I, uh, I I thought this was actually a pretty decent match. Uh, Frank, what are your thoughts on this match? Pretty good tag team match. Uh, both of the Steiner brothers looked really good. Did, did we get a Frankensteiner in this one? Didn't he uh, pull a Frankensteiner? Yeah, right, did at the right, end. right at the very end, yes. At the, at the very end, it was like off of an Irish whip too, right? Yeah, yeah. and that's normally how he used to do it. Um, that, okay, the... okay, see, I, uh, it was when he was like pop a pump. It was always like put him up on that top rope and then bring him down to the canvas that way with the Frankensteiner. But early on, it was like always off the Irish whip. Yeah. Yeah. Or just him standing there a couple times, you know? Yeah. Well, for the most part, that was the Frankensteiner yeah. though. He he would whip him off the ropes and catch him and flip him over that way. And, and that move had actually been done before. They gave him credit for creating that. But Ricky Morton in, in like a lot of the old Midnight Express oh, matches, yeah. he used to do it. Yeah. But, uh, but it was a little bit different. I mean, I don't think Ricky would, would whip him off the rope and do it. So, so I guess that was like uh, a, a little bit unique at the time. But uh, yeah, when I was watching it, I was just I thought, okay, that's that's appropriate. Good, we got a Frankensteiner on you know the Halloween <laughs> event. Yeah, and, uh, but I got I got to tell you, I'll admit it, I didn't recognize Butch Reed, but I'm not that I'm not familiar with him at all. I depended on Wikipedia afterwards to figure <laughs> out who uh, the other member of Doom was. But it, yeah, it was only about minute minute and a half in, I think. Uh, before I recognized that that was Ron Simmons underneath the other mask. Right. Nice. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I I mean, you know, Butch Reed, I mean, if you didn't grow up in that era, I wouldn't expect you to know who, who he was. But anybody in the crowd, I'm sure, would have figured it out real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, anybody that was familiar with Reed. Well, I mean, Reed had just left WWF uh, not too long before that. So, yeah. Uh, you know, he was pretty recognizable. Ron Simmons was pretty recognizable because he had wrestled in WCW. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it was, you know, and who knows how big of a secret they were even trying to keep it. Yeah, everybody knew, really. it, you know, right. So yeah, they did. Um, 
the ending of the max mat, match came with uh, Doom getting a victory over the Steiners with the old loaded mass gag. <laughs> oh, yeah. The uh, Robin Green or woman loaded up, uh, I think, Ron Simmons' mask. Oh, no, it was Reed's, I think. Gives one of them a headbutt with the loaded mask and gets the big victory, which would lead to a feud. And I want to say that Doom never got another victory over the Steiners after that. I don't think they did. <clears throat> But then later on, like I said, after they got unmasked, yeah. then they got a bigger push. Yeah. A lot. It was a lot better to watch them then because they were more themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, for this, I, I noticed, like, another thing with the crowd. The crowd was ready for this match. I mean, they knew it was Reed and Simmons. They knew it had an opportunity to be physical and that type of match that they were looking for. You mentioned Dr. Death Steve Williams earlier, you know? Yeah. All four of these guys fit that bill. Fit the Philly crowd perfect, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the mask on Doom, the, the beside just having your intelligence slap because you know who they are, <laughs> you miss Ron Simmons in his, like, facial expressions. He, he looked, he always looked like one of the most intense people, like, ever in wrestling. And yeah. you just take that all away. Even though he was good with his body language and all that, you know, you, you, you missed all that. So that was kind of a bummer. But woman, probably one of the most underrated managers ever in wrestling, if for my yeah. money. Yeah, could, yeah. She, I she can knew see that. when to do everything. Her, her like facials, everything. How she sold was like perfect. Yeah. The timing was there. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want to give yeah, her I some? See that. And lots of clotheslines in this match and on this whole card. <laughs> lots of clotheslines. <laughs> True, it gets worse later on, though. Yeah. And another thing, Jim Ross, I bet you he was upset because he couldn't mention all of these sports accolades for Ron <laughs> Simmons and Butch Reed. <laughs> well, well, one yeah, thing. That, that's one thing. I, I just wanted to add that because you talked earlier about how we get. I mean, that's one thing that stands out in my mind about Halloween Havoc 1989 is we are treated to an extensive history lesson. I mean, Jim Ross does not miss an opportunity to give you a, a very, very detailed rundown of everybody's football career, Yeah, particularly the college football stuff. We find out, like, right in the opener with Z-Man and Mike Rotunda that Mike Rotunda was the national punt, pass, and kick. Uh, <laughs> right. Runner-up. He was at, the runner-up. 13 he was years old. Major. Yeah. And then we find out later on that Luger was the youngest professional football player ever, 19 years old with CFL. So, I mean, we learn a lot about <laughs> True. College football, and we get lots of history lessons courtesy of Jim Ross in this one. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what what a contrast it is when you uh, watch AEW now, and he has no clue who the wrestlers even are. <laughs> a couple other things on this But one. I digress. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, true. <laughs> the difference, NWA matches, like one of the things I noticed doing this, they let the heels get a lot more offense as compared to nowadays and even then, like, WWF matches or even some other territories. Um, 8 minutes and 50 seconds into this match, I wrote, worst match of the night so far. (laughs) The finish better be good. And then the finish, it was a good finish. And they announced the team as Woman's Team of Doom. Yes. But I I thought the finish was saved it. Other than that, I thought the match was, man, just two people like, you know, Steiners, how many more clotheslines can they do? Even at the time, it was like, come on. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was what it was. I mean, I mean, 
I, I, I guess you just expect that from from yeah. these teams. And and like I said, we saw we saw quite a few matches from them later. Um, but uh, but I you know I, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was an okay match. It was a good um, good finish though. So, but I will say this: even if you didn't realize who it was at the very end the camera was right in Ron Simmons' face, and he said something. It's like, okay, if I didn't figure out that it was Ron Simmons by looks, I definitely would have figured it out by his voice. Yeah, because even during the match, you could hear him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. All right, so that, that brings us to uh, the next interview, uh, Gordon Soley with Lex Luger. And I crap on Luger a lot, but I will say that I thought this was a pretty good promo. But by, by it was, it was what he should should have been the whole time. And I think Soli tried to trip him up there because because he, he asked no, him yeah, definitely because he asked yeah, him how yeah. many uh, how many championships he won just so he could get that zinger in yeah. that he threw out later, and Luger just totally ignored it and just answered with something. Different. Yeah, I thought that was uh, like crappy by Soli. I'm surprised. I wrote that down. Like, why did he ask that question? Well, There's that, no answer for it. Well, because he, well, because he was hoping Luger would give him the answer, and then he could say what, what he said at the end, yeah. the little zinger with, "Well, that mean that just means that you've lost it three times, or whatever right. he was, yeah. whatever he said. Mm-hmm. he's trying to bury Lex, <laughs> unprofessional." Right, that, that's the impression I got. Yeah, <laughs> me the, too. The, and I, we've seen Gordon Soley forever. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly that. That had to be exactly what it was. Um, now, uh, now, now, Frankentiner, are you? Were you that familiar with Lex Luger? I mean, you probably would have seen him. Did you see him in his WWF days or his WCW days later on, or both? I, I grew up. I grew up watching him on the weekends. Uh, WWF had an afternoon show, and uh, I remember seeing you know the highlight of him slamming Yokozuna okay. on board the battleship. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I did watch him during his WWF run, and I used to play as him in the WrestleMania. You know, game that came out yeah. in the mid '90s. I think it was Midway did that one. Okay. Um, that that's yeah. That I was watching him a little bit when I was growing up. Okay. But it was the WWF stuff that I saw then. Okay. So that leads us to match number six, the U.S. Championship between Lex Luger and Flying Brian Pillman. Um, so Pillman comes out with a gaggle of cheerleaders, and this was like something that I thought sweet, like, sweet gaggle like when they came out. If if this was like more modern times, uh, they missed an opportunity in my book by not making the cheerleaders up as zombies. Because huh. there's nothing. I mean, you can't oh. beat zombie cheerleaders. I didn't get to see that because I watched it like over. I didn't watch it on WWE Network. Oh, so I watched it. Okay, just almost by match, and they had most of like the interviews in there. Oh, okay, well, they, during the, the match, internet. they kept they kept throwing it out there to the cheerleaders. Yeah, I'd see a crowd. couple of them, and I'm like, I couldn't remember what they were from, and they just oh, those are Pillman's cheerleaders, and I'm thinking, well, they're wearing Luger's colors, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> so okay, I get it now. <laughs> uh, Frank, Frank, were you, you were about to say something about the the zombie cheerleader uh, idea, or no? I was just agreeing with you. I think that yeah, that that's that's a pretty good idea. And it, you got me thinking too. It's like, wait a minute. I know there was a horror movie I used to see on the shelves of like you know, uh, blockbuster where it was like zombie cheerleaders on the front of it. You know, it was like horror high or some high school themed horror movie. And I yeah, think you nailed it. Cheerleaders with pom poms. They had like a uh, skeleton faces. I, yeah, I, that, that, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I think that is. I think it is horror high. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the the cheerleader was kind of like bending over. It was like a skeleton zombie looking cheerleader. I think you're right. 
I'm thinking um, it's either that one or Hell High. There was a Horror High and there was a Hell High. One of those two, I think. Yeah, I have to look into that. Um, you notice they never make the cheerleaders beat anybody in movies. They're always getting sliced in half and running and screaming. Yeah, I think you're right. It's about time for uh, a, a cheerleader uh, revolt in, yeah. the, in the movies. Um, uh, make them do those flips and do like a Frankensteiner, you know? <laughs> uh, I will say this, just, just, uh, just a side note. Uh, we saw a shot of Hawaiian shirt guy from ECW. I didn't catch it. Yes, yes, we did. He was he was uh, he was standing up, uh, yelling at. Uh, I'm assuming Luger. Was he in at, the same spot? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty really? sure he was in I'm the same spot. I to watch that again. Too. I didn't even notice. It was just real quick, and I and you know, I, obviously they didn't call him Hawaiian shirt guy. That didn't yeah. catch on later till he was in ECW. But yeah, he was right I there. Think the look. He was right there in the huh. in the first or second row. Um, so. These guys had had feuded over this belt for for quite a while, and uh, I have to say, as much as I crap on Luger, he looked like <laughs> he looked like he was in, in charge of this match. I mean, he he almost looked like Nick Bockwinkle. I'm gonna sit here and just go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> these these he two like guys. <laughs> I mean, as far as being in charge of this match, yeah, I it shocked me. Because at the time, I'm sure. Well, okay, I, I I will say this too. I think I think Luger worked better with guys like Pillman and Steamboat. Well, they knew how to work with them, you know. Yeah, but I mean, Luger I don't was know if calling, Pillman did. Luger was but calling this match. Did. You could tell Luger was calling. Oh, this he match, called though. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked. <laughs> Josh uh, Frankentiner. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> what, Frank. <laughs> Frank, what did you think gonna, of Luger and I, Pillman? I agree with you. I think Luger looked good in this match. And, uh, you know, as I said a few minutes ago, I mean, my, my experience with Luger is like, you know, the body slam of Yokozuna. And I think, of, you know, right away I think of like the human torch uh, finisher that he had. But, I mean, watching this match, which I think was an outstanding match, uh, yeah, I was struck by the fact that, you know, he was really a striker, Luger. I mean, lots of... Uh, Lots of punches, lots of overhand punches, lots of kicks, and lots of clotheslines from him, which kind of surprised me because I just had it in my mind that he was like a big power guy, so there was going to be lots of uh, suplexes and slams. And you know, he certainly would do that here and there, but, I mean, he, he struck me first and foremost as a striker. Yeah. Um, one, one thing, when he first came out, I wasn't exactly sure if he was still a babyface. I thought when he first came out, because he kind of got a decent – I, I thought he I thought the crowd was chanting Luger, but maybe they were chanting loser. I don't know. I wasn't sure either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't I, remember if he was I think he was a, I don't know if he was a good guy or a bad guy. I I'm pretty sure he was a heel. He had but, to be but when he Pillman fir- was yeah, trying to be the good but guy. But when he first came out, I was like, Man, this is this is a rare babyface versus babyface match. But then it wasn't too long after that Luger started throwing punches and you yeah. know, raking the eyes and stuff. So so then that quickly uh changed. But um but yeah, uh the the ending comes when, well, I mean, leading up to it, Pillman goes for a, a drop kick off the top rope, and he kind of does like the the drop kick where he lands on his back. Luger moves yeah. out of the way. Yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people could tell that just the way that he kind of moved out of the way it was was kind of the way that he would have sold it if he would have got hit with it. But it yeah. was just over the side, so I think the crowd was a little confused with that. And then <laughs> and then he and then Pillman eventually, you know, does. 
I don't know, a flying body press or something, and, and Luger hits him with the hot shot and gets the victory. Yeah, it was the awesome. Clean victory. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brace. I, I, so I think that this, at this point, is the best match of the night. Yeah, by far, I think. <laughs> Maybe not by far, but like a, a comfortable margin. I was so... I, I'm watching this match thinking... If I watched it at the time, would I have the same opinion of it? Because I know I look at wrestling a lot different now than I did back then, you know? Yeah. My likes are different. My dislikes are different. But Luger, like his facial expressions, and he's always had these. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, without being a, quote, good worker or have work rate or have good promos, he was able to get over because of his body. And he could still sell. Yeah. He could sell. <laughs> Luger... We mentioned that calling the whole match. Pillman didn't know how to work. He didn't know how to work a hold. This is one thing that Luger worked this entire match. He buried Pillman. He flat out outworked Pillman to the hilt. Pillman like would sit there like hold an armbar and just hold it like it's a wet noodle. And Luger's working the whole time. And Pillman's just going get a hold on Pillman. He wouldn't sell it. It's it's like he didn't know how, and it just amazed really me that, that but... yeah. If you ever watch that again, okay, watch Luger like work holds. It was okay. awesome. No, I I mean like I said, I Luger, I I, I was shocked at this match really, and, <laughs> and and how good Luger looked. Yeah, I mean I mean Luger looked like a, a a longtime veteran, and I think they had mentioned what he'd only been working what three or four three years. years at this it, point. Yeah, same with Pillman. <clears throat> yeah. But Luger, I mean, everybody buried him for the last 25 or 30 <laughs> years or whatever. So, you know, yeah. people just look at him. And at the time, I didn't think he was all that great. But, right. geez. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I noticed the Wyndham influence on Luger in this match. I that, thought about that at some point as well. Yeah, that I, and it was before he tried to do the superplex. It was kind of the way he was moving, the way he was carrying I, himself. One of, one of the things that I thought, not that they were the same, but his punches. I thought yeah. I thought it was definitely influenced by Wyndham. And I'll tell you what, uh, Frank, you mentioned the punches as him being a striker. That's one of the notes I wrote mm -hmm. down and how tight his punches were. I mean, they they didn't all of them didn't look like they were going to take your head off, right? But they were, you know, he did the short punches from underneath, but they were all good. Even mm -hmm. when they had the camera closed up on Pillman's like face, mm -hmm. you could see Luger sticking him like right next to the jaw, and I thought, man. He's punching better than anybody in the business can punch now, and it's Lex Luger. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to you know, agree with that. I, I, was, I was shocked. Yeah, that was great. Tommy Young, the referee on that one. That was, yeah, that was the best match so far, easily. Would you agree with that assess assessment, Frank, that, uh, that at this point this is the best match on the card? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it, it wasn't the match that I was most into, the, the matches that I was, you know, most into our our next match, Road Warriors taking on the Skyscrapers and the Thunderdome main event. But, I mean, like, okay. just looking at it purely from a technical standpoint, like how hard they worked, the way it went, the momentum shifts, all that stuff, yeah, I would say Luger and Pillman was, was match of the night. And I agree with you, Brace. I mean, like, those he threw some really hard, fast punches, and he got in there close. And uh, I like what you said about his facial expressions, too. I mean, he... Uh, this was my first good look when I sat down to watch this in, in preparation for this show. It was my first good look at, at Luger since I was a 
a little kid, a fledgling yeah. Frankenstein. And uh, <laughs> I, I have to say, I was really impressed by him, and I was surprised by that because, as you guys said, I mean, you know, when Luger gets brought up, people just dump on him. They have, you know, nothing but bad things to say about him, so I kind of got it in my head that he was just this uh, – overrated glory hog but i mean he works hard through this match he doesn't take any breathers and he's got the passionate facial expressions and he was into it looks very impressive i mean he he, he was good I, he really impressed me in this match he did and it just like looking at i the other thing that stuck out is just how off pillman wasn't even off i just don't know if he was that good of a worker even maybe later on he was <laughs> But, I, I think I think later on yeah, he, sure. he got I mean, a, he, he got a lot be, better. You know, Pillman is another guy that at this point worked the same match every time. Yeah, for the yeah. most part, all spots. You yeah. know, yeah, it was yeah. just it was just the same stuff over and over. Yeah. I think he got a lot better later on. He gets um, too much. He, I say that because he gets a lot of credit now for being this great virtuoso and and whatever. And he wasn't. I, I never th- thought he was like that, but he was never always like that. He. You know, I think it. I think you could really see it later when he turned heel. Yeah, yeah. That, that that that's when he was able to do a lot more, and you could see that he, that 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 he was had gotten a lot better. Yeah. So we got to quit dumping on Lex. I I agree with that because I've gone back late. You know, I've gone back and watched some of his stuff from Florida. Amazing. Yeah. Like like the match. I I think it was the match maybe that he won like the Florida title from Jesse Barr. Mm. Jesse Barr is really good. That too, blew though. my mind. Like how good that was. Yeah. I, I think I based a lot of it on when Luger, because when he when he first showed up and they immediately put him in as yeah. a horseman. I think that 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 kind of because he didn't really fit the horseman mold he as didn't far earn as it. as far as I was concerned. Right. I think that a lot of people, including myself, have have had that prejudice against him here, here. for for all these years. Yeah. Um. Well, so that takes us to our next interview, and uh, that's another one with Christopher Cruz and the Crispy Cruz and the Road Warriors. Uh, we pretty much get our typical Road Warriors interview. It was good though, man. It was good, and yeah. they and they were good. And yeah. I mean, come on, uh, both of those guys. Hawk gets a lot of credit for for being the better interview, but yeah. but Animal was no slouchy, right? Yeah. Um, so that takes us to match number seven. The Road Warriors versus the Skyscrapers uh, with Teddy Long. Road Warriors, obviously, with uh, with Paul Ellering at the time. Um, and the Skyscrapers in this one were Spivey and Sid. Spivey and, and, and Sid. Sid at, Vicious. At this point, I want to say that this is probably the toughest uh, test that the Skyscrapers had. Um, they At this point, I think they had just destroyed Jobber's Jabber tag teams pretty much all the way, you know, all the way up, right. up to here. Yeah. Um, now, to me, this 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 match was a total mess. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say, I and I've heard interviews with with Animal uh, recently, and Hawk did not want to go along with the program, but it seemed like Animal didn't want to go with the program either in this match, from what I could tell. Um, I I think I. I think I remember him saying, I don't know if it was this match specifically, but I think I remember him saying that they wanted to put this, make the skyscrapers look strong. So they were really supposed to get a lot more offense than they did. And you could kind of tell watching it that they would be going for something. Sid and Spivey looked like they were kind of panicking in the match because I think that they were like, Hey, what's going on here? And they, you know, they don't know what to do. That's interesting. Cause I, I 
didn't remember. I don't know if I knew that story or didn't remember it or what. But watching it, I thought, I thought the skyscrapers got a lot more offense than anybody else did. You know, against the Road Warriors. Yeah. Uh, I I mean that may be the case, but I but I'm pretty sure that they were supposed to look even stronger and then get you know and then the ending was gonna still be a DQ yeah. and they were gonna continue. Yeah, I could uh, see that. Continue that feud, but they still. Because I was thinking about that through that. I'm like, if the Road Warriors don't sell, they can probably take Sid Vicious, but they can't take Spivey. I mean, one-on-one. <laughs> no. You know, I, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it, it's been well documented that Sid really wasn't the toughest guy, even though he looked like it. Yeah. That one shot where they were doing the uh, the test of strength, oh, my God, Sid looked like a monster. I he know. Looked, he looked like a Master of the Universe figure. Yeah. Action figure. Yeah. Um, so, Josh uh, – Frankentiner, you said that you were looking forward to to this match. Uh, did it live up to your expectations? I was really looking forward to it because I love the Road Warriors. I, you know, I did see some of them growing up, and I just I like them a lot. And uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Sid. You know, I hear a lot of bad things said about him too, but I've been a big fan of his for a long time. And I like Dan Spivey. I I loved his Waylon Mercy WWF gimmick. I I loved his promos and. I just like that whole thing. So I was really excited about this one. But it, it wound up being a weird match to me because it sounded very much to me like, or just listening to what uh, Bob Caudle and Jim Ross say during their commentary, it seemed to me like the agenda of the company was they were really going to push you know, the uh, the skyscrapers. Yes. But the road warriors were just not having any of that because they figure, well, no, you're not going to bury us and, you know, have them be the next big dominant tag team. Because it's like, I, I got the feeling like the road warriors were kind of beating them up early on, like not selling much and kind of knocking them around. And, and you know, but, but, it, but every time they did something like that, there was like no acknowledgement of that from Caudill or Jim Ross. They'd be like, well, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, when, when you do that to a guy like Sid Vicious and he doesn't go down, you know, like they, they kept, no matter how much the road warriors are beating on the skyscrapers early on, the, uh, the commentators, all they talk about is how impervious to pain and indestructible the skyscrapers were. Yes. So it, it seemed to me like there was kind of like <laughs> conflicting agendas here. And, and I, I agree with what you said is that, made it just a little bit of a mess at times yeah. but overall a pretty cool match though i mean between giants yeah that that test of strength moment between uh hawk and sid i mean yeah that's just <laughs> what a visual you know those two arms locked up that yeah was, that was neat yeah so so on the one hand i'm watching this thinking you know this 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 is kind of a cluster uh but but on the other hand i'm watching it thinking well you know it it if you did think that that wrestling was not a work back here, you you would just think that that was a a, a good hard hitting match. Yeah. I mean, it it, yeah. it it didn't look as um, as choreographed as a lot of other matches do, obviously. So, I mean, I I really had no problem with it, but but the whole time I was thinking, I was I was just remembering that that interview that Animal did, and 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 it it did look like. Sid and Spivey were like trying to get back on track, like, and and I think Animal and Hawk just totally went against what, what what was supposed to be going on. <laughs> some some nice quality start and stops in there. So anyway, the match ends up ending on a on a DQ. The the Warriors end up winning it by 
by disqualification because I don't remember the the deal was with the with the big key that Teddy Long <laughs> carried around. But yeah, anyway, they ended up either. getting that and hitting everybody with that, and, and that was the the end of that one. Uh, <laughs> any any more thoughts on that match, Brace? Before we move on, yeah, the crowd was really ready for this one. I yeah, mean, they, they were, were. Yeah, they were either standing or on the edge of their seat waiting for the destruction to ensue. And, you know, you, t- you, you brought this one up earlier, Mad Dog. I, this is where I wrote down, you know, the, the pick them up and throw them around era. Yes. You know, that started to get away from wrestling and more toward the high-impact moves only. Yeah. And look how big everybody's been on the damn card. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yep. And also, that was, you know, normally you don't put, like, disqualifications on pay-per-views, supposedly. Well, back then they did. Right. But this was a quality disqualification. I really like this one. <laughs> when Teddy Long came in with that golden key and nailed Ellering, it was so good because it, it just looked like it. It wasn't planned out to the nth degree. It looks like it just happened. Yeah. Like a disqualification just somehow happened. Yeah. Like Teddy Long said, enough of this. I'm going to go <laughs> right. in there, you know, boom. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And there was even a smattering of jeers for the Warriors, Road Warriors. There, yeah, there was. There yeah, it wasn't you know a whole lot, but there was like the, a lot of the good guys. Well, the way they were building up the skyscrapers at the time, you know, they they had a lot of fans. Yeah, and uh, and we would get mad when they wouldn't do what we wanted them to either. <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> right. All right, let's uh, let's move on because uh, we're running low on time here. So uh, the next interview is uh, Christopher Cruz along with Sting, Flair, and Ole Anderson. Uh, which takes us to match number eight, the main event, the Thunderdome cage, uh, which is an electrified cage with some Halloween gimmicky stuff around the outside of Ric Flair, Sting, along with Ole Anderson as the Terminator uh, against the great Muda, Terry Funk, and Gary Hart as their team's Terminator, Bruno Sammartino, special referee, um, the Terminators were the only way that you could lose the matches by submission and the Terminator throwing in the towel. Um, right off the bat, we get a fire on the cage and Tommy Young ends up going up it w- along with somebody else trying to put the fire out. This actually got, uh, you know, Tommy Young suffered some burns on his hands yeah. from, from trying to put this fire out or from putting the fire out. We get a cool spot right in the beginning where Muda decides to go up there and try to put the fire out with the green mist. Yeah, the Turner Art Department had to get their uh, get their wares in on this pay-per-view. <laughs> now, what, what type of dork, I'll say that for just without going off, would put a bunch of, like, Halloween art decor over live electric wires on a steel fence. Exactly, and they look like they yeah. had, it looks like they had put up. And why don't you just gimmick the gimmick the cage? Yeah, I, I mean, do you really have to have it where you know there there's some actual electricity up there, uh, or even all the crap they put all over it? Yeah, and then why would you put tumbleweeds outside? Yeah, but anyway, because tumbleweeds and Halloween have a lot to do with each other. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So I mean, you know, the 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 match was okay for what it, for what it was. I mean, Terry Funk, one of the uh, all time greats, one of my favorites of all time. I think he was probably the MVP of the match. Yeah, uh, he was trying to make the most out of what they they had. Uh, Frankensteiner, what are your thoughts on the Thunder Cage main event? 
as silly as it might have been, I, I you know, I, I'm going to admit, I, I kind of liked the tree branches and the cobwebs and that kind of stuff. That they, <laughs> they had, like, you know, over the top of the, the Thunderdome itself. But um, with this match, my first thought was that there was, like, a, a lack of communication between the wrestlers and the commentators because from the way that it had been built up and described by Jim Ross and Bob Cottle, I got the impression that the entire thing was going to be electric, electrified and you couldn't get anywhere near it, you couldn't touch it. And then it's like as soon as it gets lowered, both Muda and Funk are just climbing all over it. But I thought that the, you know, the commentators did a great job of just going with that. You know, they, they, it seemed like they really didn't expect Funk and Muda to start touching the thing, let alone like, you know, crawling all over it and was it Bob Cottle, you know, looks at Terry Funk, what is that nut doing? You know, they just attributed it to both of them just being totally out of their minds, you know, and gluttons for punishment. You know? I, I, I think you might be right because in my memory, and I, I mean, I could be wrong. I'd have to go back and look, but I think they did. I think they did just, when they were building it up, just said it was going to be an electrified cage. They yeah. never specified that it was just going to be the top of the cage until, until right then. Yeah. And even, so that's what it was. It was just the very the top of it. Because I watched, I watched this match twice, and I even afterwards I thought, well, so what was it supposed to be like? Just patches of it were electrified. You well, yeah, you couldn't which touch spots it. Spots were electrified, and that was like the additional danger of it. But it, or was it? It was just supposed to be the top part. Well, I think they changed it after the beginning and said it was just going to be the top part. But then again, you still had Terry Funk and and Muda and everybody else hanging around up yeah, there. Yeah, that whole time. that did fail, luckily, because it was supposed to be like around the top so nobody could get in and nobody could get out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But during the match, that the electricity gimmick, however they had that hooked up, it was legit. You saw the fire, but it did fail. Okay. Yeah, so they were able but to at, grab. At and, one point, somebody went up there, and they did, like, the shocking thing. I think Muda might have and, and touched yeah. it. And, yeah. and they and they touched on it. But, but yeah, I, I, think you're, I think you're right, Frank and Tyner. I think it was just – Kind of a miscommunication, if nothing else. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody was 100% clear on, on how it was really supposed to go. Yeah, because they couldn't um, have did the whole fence because it was sitting right next to ringside. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the match is what it was. I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, you know, there there was some decent spots. It, it wasn't the most um technically sound. I mean, not that it should have been technically sound, but even the stuff that they were doing kind of looked sloppy. But uh, and it almost looked like they didn't even really have like the match planned out a whole lot. I mean, it just seemed like they kind of went at it. Later, you would see that style applied in ECW matches, but at this time, on 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 the WCW end, that's really not how things were. And I remember watching it for the first time, thinking the same thing that it was just kind of a a, a sloppy mess, and I think everybody just kind of did what they wanted. Yeah, because they made they made the cage too much of the too much of the program so they had to work with that cage and they could have just done a little more in the ring without the cage you I, know? I i, I want to throw this out here um i have i have said before that i do not consider uh, okay rick flair is up there but i don't consider him the greatest and one of the reasons why is the way that he sold stuff he was able to get away with doing uh pretty much the same match for a long time but like they, they wanted him to start doing different stuff like this. Like, obviously, this is a different match for Ric Flair at this time. Oh, yeah. 
when he was getting thrown into the cage, it looked like he was like scared that he was actually gonna like get, get electrocuted. <laughs> no, but it was just like I, I, I didn't like the way that he was getting you know sold getting thrown into the cage. Yeah. It was almost like like he was anticipating it and he looked scared. I never liked the way that he sold the pile driver, and he, and we saw that later on because mm-hmm. he would like grab the feet, and um, it just. It just never looked right. It was almost like he was scared to like sell certain things, <laughs> and uh, and and I mean, if nothing else, that's my big knock on Ric Flair, and that's why I will never consider him the greatest of all time because of his selling or non-selling abilities. <laughs> I thought the same. I almost thought the same thing, but my take on it is, you don't put Ric Flair in this match. Like they tried to put him in a tables, ladders, and chair, you know, in any other gimmick matches. He just he's a wrestler. He, I mean, he just hasn't been right that type of guy to do those, you know? Yeah. I'll agree with that. Uh, right. Frank, you got any thoughts on that? I mean, you know, if, if Flair looked a little hesitant to touch the cage, that just that probably contributed to the feelings that I had that it's like not everybody was like on the same page going into this. I mean, <laughs> like I just... With this main event, this Thunderdome match, I got this feeling that they're all in there. Nobody really knows how this is going to go, what's going on, what the you know, the rules are, how this stage <laughs> is supposed to be sold. And uh, so that, you know, the, but that at times would kind of like add a little like air of excitement for me because it, it really, it genuinely looked like just nobody knew what was <laughs> what could happen next. So, yeah. You know, at, at times that looked a little messy, but I mean, it was also exciting too. So, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. So the ending comes when... Um, Hart and uh, Ole both start coming to the ring. Um, Ric Flair has Terry Funk in a figure four. Sting is giving him splashes off the rope. Those two both start to come into the ring. Ole hits hits Hart. Hart inadvertently throws the towel, giving the victory to Ric Flair and Sting. Um, what's uh, overall? I, I mean, the match was good for what it was. Overall, I thought this was a actually a pretty decent pay per view. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's a different time, obviously, <clears throat> different era. It seemed like they were trying out a lot of new things at this time. Um, Frank, uh, what what would you give this pay per view uh, rating overall? Before we go there, can I get my thoughts on the last match? Uh, yes, quickly, one minute. Elbows from Funk and Muda to Sting were cool when they had them laying down and they're. They just kept dropping the elbows on them. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I didn't like the match. I thought this was a precursor to what pro wrestling is going to become. No timing, long, stupid spots. You know, it just took forever to set everything up and not a lot of flow. And I understand it was the cage and, you know, you got flair in there and whatever else. Yeah. But it just, I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I didn't like it. The cameras missed a lot of shots. They did. And then they had the gimmicks. They did. Bunks hanging from the top and you couldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and was Muda bleeding in the match? Because um, I saw it was blood hard, it was hard on to tell. Bruno's <laughs> shirt, and I didn't see it on the other guys, but I thought I saw a cut on top of Muda, and I know. It might, he might have. And I don't I think they would have sold that on commentary. No, I didn't catch that, but possibly. Hmm. Uh, so, and, a, and a smattering of booze for uh, Sting. And, and Bruno yeah. got a nice pop coming in, Philadelphia's home yeah, territory. Yeah. Uh, for the match, the three biggest pops were Sting when he dove off the cage. At the corner of the cage, second when Bruno punched uh, Muda, that got a nice, nice pop. And the third pop was the finish. And the fourth Bruno's entrance, if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Frankensteiner, what do you what do you think of this pay per view overall? Well, I love Halloween, and there was enough uh, spooky stuff in there to to keep that side of me happy, and there was enough good wrestling in here too, so that you know I didn't. Uh, I definitely wasn't sorry that I watched it afterwards. I, I enjoyed myself, and uh, but I mean, in the end, um, it definitely, on the whole, came across to me uh, very much as an experiment with uh, lots of room for improvement, which to me they certainly did in, in the future. Halloween yeah. Havocs. Yep, I would agree with that assessment. And uh, with that, uh, I would like to thank you, Frank and Tenor, for being on here. Um, give us any uh, spoilers on upcoming uh, content abnormals. Well, for the 62nd, well, thank you for having me on here. It was a pleasure talking to both of you. I love this show. I'm a big fan of the uh, the doghouse segments that you do uh, for MWO Wrestling. Been a big fan of yours for a long time, and, and really, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, those are quality um, segments, aren't they? I think they are. Yeah, they are. As a matter of fact, I went to the Redford Theater um, this past weekend. I went to go see the Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and uh, what Mad Dog Butch did in the doghouse at Tricker Slam that inspired me. I actually managed. <laughs> I wore a Mule Masperus mask to that show and uh i managed to eat a snickers bar through that Neil masters mask because because he took out a baby ruth in that segment i thought wow that was impressive i'm, I'm gonna try a snickers bar here and, and i had to stretch it out I, with my thumb and forefinger of the mouth but i i did manage to pull it off uh yeah um, I, I do have my inspirational moments yes <laughs> that was definitely one of them. Uh, with 62nd episode coming up it's probably gonna oh yeah it's gonna be an episode of uh suspense and it's going to be starring Vincent Price because uh, I feel bad that we went the whole month of October without featuring Mr. Vincent Price in anything. So Big I'm Vincent. considering making a, all November is going to be Vincent Price month on uh, Content Abnormal. So. All right. So, sounds good. Uh, once again, thank you very much for being on here. I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, nice job. And, and we, we should too. do this again in the future sometimes. So uh, thank you, and uh, I will encourage everybody to check out Content Abnormal, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch, Frank and Tyner. So thank, thank you. you. Much. All right. Um, uh, Brace Beamer, any parting words? Yeah, that was a, I like that pay-per-view. I thought it was, a, it was a pretty darn good pay-per-view, top to bottom. You know, it was, it was entertaining. A couple matches I could do without, but, I mean, you can do that with – anything you watch so uh great job mad dog as usual and everybody have a good night yeah thank you uh as always keep checking the butch blood facebook page for updates uh we do we should be back a couple times in november so uh take care everyone thank you for joining us definitely check out content abnormal Just in time to pop, you can clear.